Yeah, I guess if you go there. Check one, two. Yeah, that should be good. For 22, starting in verse 14. I invite you to stand with me this morning as we hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 22. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, he gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on this table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among this in themselves, Which of them it might be who would do this? And this is the word of the Lord, and we say, Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So we loaded up the car to the very top. Suitcases, luggage, food, everything we would need. We left home and we dropped our dog Sydney off at the kennel for the weekend and we were off. On the road again. It was the third week of November and that could only mean one thing in our house. That we were headed to grandma and granddad's. You see, in our family, we're very rarely able to get together on Christmas Day. Just growing up, we couldn't really make it work with the cousins and, you know, with kids. It's just hard to get them all and the toys and all that. So we rarely saw each other on Christmas Day. But Thanksgiving for us was a completely different story. If you were related to Morris and Joanne Graybill, you were headed to Milledgeville or Valdosta in the third week of November, wherever they lived that year. All of my cousins and aunts and uncles from that side of the family would be there. And it was always one of the greatest days of the year. You see, we would pour into the house about 10 a.m., hopefully earlier as we could try to get there. Macy's Thanksgiving parades on the TV. Life was so good. The smells. Oh, the smells. When you get to grandma's on Thanksgiving, the smells are unbelievable. We could smell the turkey frying in the garage. We could smell the bacon that Granddad had prepared for those of us that didn't have breakfast on the way in. He was trying to feed us before we ate. That's just what grandparents do, right? They just want you to eat. Well, we would mingle, and us kids would find our ways out into the yard, and and we'd normally throw a football or play tag or have a frisbee or something. And we would just go all out, as hard as we could. You see, we didn't really see our family all that much throughout the year, so this was the day. Then it would be time to feast. We'd run inside, and the parade was no longer on, but now there there were football games on TV. And we would come into those wonderful smells and those most wonderful foods, all in one glorious place. It's kind of like... How you wish Golden Corral was everything it could be. But every time you go, you're a little bit disappointed. You think, man, they have everything. And then you're kind of disappointed by like, well, the pizza's eh. And, well, that chicken was eh. And the mashed potatoes and the mac and cheese taste the same. 
But not at Grandma's house on Thanksgiving, right? There's so much flavor and it's oh so wonderful. It was always in that moment of staring at the food that I wish that my stomach could just never get full. Could I really spend all day eating on this blessed meal? Well, every year I would try my very best. And after we would eat, we'd have to give it time to settle in our outstretched bellies. And then it was time for our annual football game. You see, this was something that at one point all the cousins would participate in. You know, nobody had to be forced or anything, but you know what happens. They turn into teenagers, and all of a sudden they're too cool to play football, or, you know, they just got their nails done, so they can't play football anymore. And So after some of them had gotten a little older, you see, I'm the second youngest of the eight grandkids on this side, that side of the family, so, you know, they were all gradually getting older, and, well... This particular year, it ended up that it was boys versus girls, and we had the, the right number to do that. My dad was all-time quarterback. He looked forward to it every year. He loved it more than we did, I think. We would split into teams, and we would play two-hand touch. And my dad would always love calling us into the huddle, and then he would grab somebody by the shoulders and turn them sideways, and he'd draw the plays out on their stomach as if it was a whiteboard. As if anybody knew what he was talking about. Because ultimately, then we would all run up to the line, and we didn't have a center. My dad would just go like this and grab the ball, and and we would all yell out random words, because that's what they do in football. They just scream random words, and then my dad would snap the ball, and everyone would run wherever they wanted to. And eventually, somebody would either drop the ball, or they'd catch the ball, and then we'd move on. Well, this year, it had come down to the very last play. You see, the score was tied, and we always had to go inside at a certain time to go sit in a circle in the living room and share what we were thankful for that year. And so we didn't have a choice to play longer. There was no overtime. So we get in the huddle, and my team's on offense, and it's all tied up, and and my dad grabs me, and he starts drawing on my belly and all this, and and, and he says, now, Ryan, what you're going to do is you're going to line up way far out on the left, And when we snap the ball, you're going to run out, you're going to get on your knees, and you're going to bark like a dog. And I said, got it. Never seen this in the playbook before, but I'll take it. And then he looks at my cousin and he says, and Josh, you're going to go on the far right, and you're going to zigzag toward Ryan, and then you're going to zigzag toward the end zone. And as soon as he barks and everybody turns and looks at him, I'm going to throw you the ball and we're going to win. Well, the funny thing was, was my dad was going to win either either way because he was on both teams, but he wanted us to win. So, sure enough, we get up to the line. We scream random words. My dad snaps the ball, and I run, and I get on my knees, and I just start barking like a dog. And sure enough, what do all the girls do? And there goes Josh. Right in the end zone, my dad tosses him the ball. Touchdown, boys win, girls lose. Just how life should be. Well, you see, then we ran inside, and we sat in the circle of thankfulness, which, honestly, it usually started off pretty silly, right? A kid would say that they were glad for, you know, Twizzlers or something. And, and then eventually, it would get a little bit more serious, and there would usually be some tears shed, 
As adults began to think back of how hard that year had really been and how thankful they were that God had brought them there and how thankful they were for God's faithfulness throughout the year. You see, as the disciples, they gathered around the table for Passover, they really did. They thought it was just another Passover. They thought it was Thanksgiving. You see, they walked in and they smelled all those smells. You see, during Passover, they, they didn't just cook the same old stuff. There were certain dishes and sweets that you could only smell that time of year. So as they came into town even, their noses knew it's Passover. You see, Jesus had told them in the past that he would be leaving. And he talked about going to the Father and he talked about dying. But the disciples just really didn't understand. You see, they had all dropped their dogs off at the kennel. And they knew that it was time to go and celebrate Passover. There'd be a parade. And honestly, they were probably waiting for the football game right afterwards. Two-hand touch, no tackle. Then Jesus comes in and he throws this huge curveball into the mix. Hmm. He talks about his broken body and his shed blood as we read. What a bummer. Way to put a damper on things, Jesus. But then quickly, the attention of the disciples changes again. When Jesus reveals that the person that would cause all of this is seated at the table. In the words of Stephanie Tanner, I say, how rude. You see, the disciples have just heard that Jesus is going to die which is a real bummer. But then what they're really concerned about is their own ego when they learn, oh, somebody in this room is going to betray him. Then that's when they start bickering. That's when they start fighting. It's as if their meal of thankfulness turned into a murder mystery dinner, right? Or maybe a real-life game of Clue. Who done it? Would it be Peter in the kitchen with the candlestick who would it be jesus wanted to enjoy these last few moments with his loved ones and all the disciples cared about was the family drama and i know some of you can relate to this every year at thanksgiving you hope maybe this year will be different maybe they won't bicker maybe we can just eat and get out of there in peace I know for some of you, you probably think that your family could be a real-life reality TV show, and, and it probably honestly could be. But we all fall guilty of this. I mean, it's so easy to lose sight of what something is really all about. They were gathered together for Passover to remember and to be thankful that God spared their people generations ago. But quickly, they got sidetracked. I know I ask this every time that we talk about a sacrament, but I'm going to keep asking it because repetition really is our best teacher here. So there are two sacraments that are recognized by the Church of the Nazarene. What are they? Baptism and communion. Good. That answer is getting a little more confident every time I ask it. Well, the original term used for communion, which we still use today, we call it the Lord's Supper, but it was also called Eucharist, and we use that word some too. Keep that in mind for a minute. Now I want us to look back at the scripture where it says that Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks for it and, and then he took the cup 
and he gave thanks for it. The Greek word that's here for gave thanks for it is a word, eucharisto. Everybody say that with me, eucharisto. Great, now you know one more word in the dead language, congratulations. No, Greek's not a dead language, but the dialect that the New Testament's written in, it's, it's not used anymore. So even if you went to Greece and, and said some of these words out of the New Testament, it would kind of sound like Old English to us, and maybe even older. It's, their, their dialect has changed over the years. Um, but, Eucharisto. The de- definition of Eucharisto is to be thankful. And of course, there are all kinds of tenses and variations used in Scripture. But this is the root word of where it comes from. Now, don't let me lose you here. Eucharisto sounds just like the word I just used, Eucharist. Well, that's ironic, and you probably guessed it. In the early church, the term Eucharist was formed right out of this word that is translated to be thankful or to give thanks. So what I'm trying to say here is, is, is that every time that we gather around the table of the Lord, every first Sunday of the month, when we gather and we partake of the elements, we are celebrating thanksgiving. The term Eucharist literally means thanksgiving. So we as Christians, we technically don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for once a year to celebrate thanksgiving. But here in our local church, we celebrate it once a month through passing the elements and sharing in the broken body and shed blood. But honestly, as Christians, every day should be a day of Eucharisteo. Every day can be thanksgiving. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad that once a year we celebrate our spirit of thanksgiving with turkey and dressing and mashed potatoes and green bean casserole and sweets galore. I'm very thankful for that. I really am. And I'm very excited to eat here in a minute. But the sacred nature of what we do when we break bread together and are thankful is not an event in our lives, but it's rather an attitude. An attitude in which we live our lives. Whether we have someone over to our house for a feast or we meet him down the street at Danny's Donuts for coffee, we must never give up getting together and being thankful around the table. Breaking bread... And sharing our thankfulness for all that God has done and for all that God will do. And just like the disciples, we don't have the answers. Just like the disciples, when we gather around the table and we're thankful for what God has done in the past, we don't really have an idea of what God's going to do in the future. But yet when we come around the table and we're thankful, we're reminded that, hey, next time we gather around this table, no matter what happens, we're going to be thankful because we serve a God who will be faithful. No matter what it looks like. So we can't figure out the future, but we can come around the table and remember that we're joined by the one who will be with us through what is next and is longing for time with us right now. You see, I went back and forth all week as I prepared this. How could we share this and not have communion together, not have Eucharist together? Yeah, I know we did it last week, but we could do it again, no big deal. But finally, I talked myself out of it. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't think we have to end that way today. 
I think what we're about to do together as we feast, I think that that can be for us today, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. As we gather around the tables today to eat and eat and eat some more, I want to invite you to share stories. I don't care who you end up sitting next to. You know, church dinners, you never know who might plop down next to you. But I want you to share stories of the faithfulness of God and how thankful you are for that. I want you to share silly stories and fun stories and sad stories. I want you to share testimonies, testimonies of God's protection in your life. Because you see, if we just go back there today and we eat with our family members that we rode to church with, and we kind of separate by family and we all eat, no, 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 that's what we're going to do on Thanksgiving Day. We're going to all go be with our families and do that. But today, in a sacramental manner, I want us to share this feast of Thanksgiving together. Because not to be morbid, but there's somebody probably with us this year that won't be next year. And we don't know who that'll be. The disciples knew who it was going to be because Jesus told them and they still didn't want to believe it. They still didn't want to embrace the time they had together. So today, as we eat, let's fellowship and be thankful. Be thankful for the time that we have with those that are gathered in this room and, and be thankful that that we're not stuck in quarantine right now. Many of you have had that struggle and, it, and you know, it, it's no fun. But just to be thankful and share stories. Share how God has gotten you through this year because I guarantee you somebody needs to hear it. Because for somebody, these days ahead are going to be tough. In church, when we break bread together and we gather around the tables... God is present. So today, I'm going to bless the food, and we're going to go, and we're going to have a great time. But let us remember as we gather around that table why we celebrate today. Lord, we, we ask now that in these last few moments, Father, would you prepare our hearts to be overwhelmed with gratitude in the days and moments to come. Father, would you fill us with spirits of thankfulness that here we are one more year to celebrate Thanksgiving, to celebrate Eucharist, this sacrament of your broken body and shed blood. And today, Lord, may our stories in this meal, may it not just fill us up in a literal sense, but may it fill our spirits so that we can go about being people of resurrection in the world, that we could spread this spirit of thankfulness and appreciation. God, today we celebrate your faithfulness. Lord, we celebrate your servants. Lord, we celebrate the work that you've done through Wanda, and we are so thankful for that. So Lord, today be in our conversation, be in, our, in the meal, may it be blessed and multiplied 
And may you be present in all that is said and done. May our conversation glorify you and edify the body so that we can be better than when we got here today. So Lord, as we gather, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I have very unique instructions.